Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We called for nuance, and the universe gave us Donald Trump. Today we're dealing with Donald's remarks and the toughest debate in American presidential history. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Uh, make sure and hit up our blog because I have a new blog post with regards to Donald Trump's remarks and my um, role in life as the mother of three boys. And I'd love to hear what you guys think. And we're constantly um, posting more content from both uh, Beth and I and our readers. So PantsuitPoliticsShow.com. There's a lot to talk about in the pearls today. I'm glad you came back from vacation, Sarah. Are you feeling rested? Are you feeling good? No, I'm feeling exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I didn't drink bourbon tonight, so there shouldn't be such an, quite an edge in my voice. 
We are recording immediately following the Sunday evening debate, and we first have to, in the pearls, cover the Donald Trump-Billy Bush bus conversation in which Trump essentially brags about his ability to sexually assault women because he's famous. I mean, am I putting that in a fair way? I think that's wholly and completely accurate and how uh, many news organizations are describing it. It's hard to even know what to say about this because I've gone through such a range of emotions in such a short period of time that this news feels old to me now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was really emotional and intense over... Did it come out on, it came out on Friday late, right? It did. So, um, it came out Friday and then I feel like the firestorm just built and built and built until Saturday and, um, part of today, but mostly I think Saturday was just really intense reaction because one in five American women will be sexually assaulted in her lifetime. I think that this is such an incredible incredibly emotional subject for people. Um, whether you're a woman who has been sexually assault assaulted, whether you are a woman who knows a woman who has been sexually assaulted or a man who's been sexually assaulted or a man who knows. I mean, we're all affected by this and it's so incredibly emotional. And I think that, you know, the stakes are so high for people. It just felt like we were all going through sort of the worst family therapy session as a country you could possibly imagine. I think that's right. And I mean, I, I felt really angry about this in a way that it was hard for me to process. Like it was hard for me to even explain to myself how strongly I reacted to these comments. And I think that I reacted more to comments about the comments than the comments themselves. Because it's not news to me that Donald Trump is a pig, right? It's not news that he disrespects women. It's really not even news that he has been alleged to assault women in this way, mm. right? That Like, all of that's old. But then hearing it characterized as locker room banter set a fire in me that the intensity of it is just kind of overwhelming me. But I'm trying to, and I, I posted kind of a tweet storm about this, and I've put that on our blog uh, so people can read it. But I'm really trying to convert that into just feeling determined that my daughters will not live in a world where this is locker room talk. I think that, you know, two nights before or three, I, while on vacation, I'd watched an amazing documentary called Daisy and Audrey. I think it's Daisy and Audrey or Audrey and Daisy. It's a Netflix documentary about teenage sexual assault and cyberbullying that often follows it. And it's something, you know, with Brock Turner case that we've been talking a lot about a lot in this country. And I think that we are dealing with first a generational divide in the understanding about rape culture. I have, and I think Donald Trump, represents that. Um, you know, I have conversations with people that I dearly love who do not understand that it is unacceptable to blame a woman for her own rape. They just don't understand it. 
She was drunk, period. And so I, I think, and it's like we're just talking in two different languages. And so I think so much of our rape culture is is what you saw. You saw that reflected in a lot of the comments regarding Donald Trump's remarks. You know, he thinks it's acceptable to touch a woman, to kiss a woman, to grab a woman by her pussy, quote unquote, without her consent. And other people think that, that you know, that with rape culture is so sort of in our very pores that we can't recognize why that is so offensive and awful. And I just hope, you know, I had a friend that said like, at least maybe this ugliness is out in the open and we can really talk about it now. But I'm, I'm just, I don't know how hopeful I am that we can sort of breach this divide in which some of us think it's okay or, you know, understandable or I, I don't even know that that men will be men and boys will be boys which is what I wrote about on our blog and that you know women will just have to suffer the consequences of their choices to drink or to just be a woman or to dress a certain way and it's just it's so upsetting I don't even know where to be in yeah, I've been thinking about how we react from our positions, you as the mother of boys and me as the mother of girls, and how um, I thought powerful your blog post was about what you're really saying about what men are when you say things like boys will be boys. And, f- and my reaction is more even like, I can't believe that we're still dealing with rape culture. Like, I want to address every level. I want my daughters to be respected in the workplace. You know what I mean? I want all of the indicators that men are superior to women or that it's still a man's world or, you know, fill in the blank. I want all of that eradicated. I can't believe here in 2016, we still think of women as pushy when men are just, uh, you know, being skilled negotiators, let alone the fact that we have a presidential candidate who brags about, you know, grabbing women in this way. It's it's just disgusting to me and I'm over it. And I think whatever else comes of this awful year, I hope that the women of America band together in a way that we have not seen since post Clarence Thomas to say we are done with this. We will have no more of this. I tell you what, you don't have to look back to Clarence Thomas. There is a hopeful, I mean, you can see what just happened with the women of Poland when they tried to pass a really strict anti-abortion legislation. Like the, every woman in the damn country went on strike. It was amazing. So and I think it's possible. I think the upside of this comment and this discussion is the feminist media, the feminist conversation, is, it's just, it's stronger than I've ever seen it in my lifetime the pushback, the absolutely not, um, is really encouraging. And, you know, if we see anything from that, I hope, you know, I'm sorry. I just had so many friends get on Facebook and share their sexual assaults in really personal and vulnerable ways. And I think that that's so powerful. And I think that in much the same way that we changed our culture, and shifted our culture with our understanding of gay rights, 
that's what's going to have to happen with rape culture. It's going to have to be women standing up and saying, your locker room banter happened to me. You, your dismissive understanding of what it means when men, men talk about women this way translates into action and it happened to me. And, you know, that's why this has been such an in- intense couple days because it's just people really stepping out there and like, I don't know if you saw, um, all the retweets from, oh, I'm totally blanking on her Kelly name. Oxford. Thank you, Kelly Oxford. But it's just, I mean, it was, she, I think she said it was like 8 point million responses at this point of women sharing their stories of sexual assault. And, you know, it's just, it's heart wrenching, but you know, to get through something, to come out on the other side of something like this as a culture, as a society, we have to face all the ugliness. And it's going to be hard, but if anything positive can come out of the ugliness that Donald Trump spewed, then I hope that's it. And we have to face that ugliness without defensiveness. We have to face that ugliness without drawing artificial lines and saying, well, this is okay, but not that. The truth is we're at a moment in our history where we have to be better than this. We have to shut it down. There is not a place where any of this is acceptable. If you are trying to parse Donald Trump's words and find what's okay in it, I don't want to have the conversation with you. I don't. Because as much as I like nuance and dialogue and finding common ground, I think we need some black and white rules about the fact that women's bodies are not amusement parks. Period. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so well, we, on that light note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to skip complimenting the other side because Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were asked to do that. I like to think that that man in the audience listens to our show. For anybody who didn't see the debate, a, a, uh, it was a town hall and a man stood up at the very end and said, um, can you say something nice about your opponent, basically? Bravo, so, Carl. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now, and there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. 
but those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high quality vacation essentials like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Well, I guess we should start with Donald Trump's pre-debate stunt in which he pulled four women who have passed in the past accused Bill Clinton of sexual harassment or worse, and a woman whose Hillary Clinton was assigned by a judge to defend her rapist when she was 12 years old up into a side room right before the debate and did a Facebook Live press conference with these women. It's so cartoonish, right? It's just hard to believe that this is even real life. When I you know saw what? that happening, there were like people having a bonfire in my backyard, roasting marshmallows and making s'mores and stuff. And my phone starts blowing up. And I thought, this is the onion or something. He can't possibly be doing this. The professionals around him cannot possibly have allowed this. But uh, they did. Well, two things. One is... You know, I take our previous discussion about rape culture very seriously. And there are a substantial amount of people who their response to Donald Trump's ugly words and descriptions of sexual assaults was, well, what about Bill Clinton? And I spent a lot of weekend, a lot of my weekend, and I have spent a lot of time over the last few months thinking very deeply about Bill Clinton and his past and what that means for a discussion about rape culture. And I've done, you know, just a lot of personal soul searching as someone who thinks a lot about nuance as someone who has admired Bill Clinton over the years, you know, watching his debate with Bush and um, Perot is like my first, my first political thing I ever remember doing. And when he did that, I felt like such a dope. I just felt like I'm taking these women seriously. I'm really thinking what happened between Juanita Broderick and Bill Clinton? What does that mean? 
What can we take from it? Like really searching my soul and this asshole pulls them up at a table and uses this as props to make a political point. And I just felt like a dope. I just felt like I was taking this seriously. You're not taking this seriously. Like, how dare you? I was so, and am still so furious. Just like I said, because I was sincerely trying to think about this in a nuanced way, in a sincere way. And when he did that, it just laid bare like his disgusting motivations. And it was so infuriating. It's the most cynical way to view politics. And it's just craven. It was craven. I agree with you. I mean, what these women have to say is important. And and I believe them. I, I that's just my starting place. I'm going to believe women who say these things. And I think that means a lot of complicated things. I had an argument on Twitter today about equivalency with someone. And and by the way, like, I'm so tired of the equivalency battle. I don't have a stake in what's more or less egregious. I just don't. So I, I struggle in that conversation. But I had tweeted about how infuriated I was by the Trump and Billy Bush conversation And this person said, well, your point is not valid if you don't think that what Hillary Clinton did to women who were involved with Bill is just as bad. Okay, I don't accept the premise of that statement, but, you know, it it is important. It's a thorny issue. It's difficult. It means that in both of these candidates, we have some work to do for sure. But to roll these women out like this and sit them at a table as though they're at a career fair or something it was just disgusting and then to put them in the audience of the debate so that hillary clinton has to have these women staring her down and then he points at them i mean there was just something so circusy about it and when you know that donald trump is all about being a showman and an entertainer and that that's all this is to him it's just a plot line it's disgusting well and what made me so incredibly angry about, you know, the entire, like you called it, circus, is that I think that, God, I'm just, I don't even know. Well, I will say this. When you said, who are the professionals letting him do this? I just thought the whole time before it started and as it got started, like, He's not a professional candidate. Like if you, and I know that's what other people appeals to him about other people, that, uh, that what is what appeals about him to other people, but he's just such a disaster up there trying, even trying to make a strong point or trying to, you know, when the policy side, the sort of the policy argument might be even a little bit on his side. And uh, you know what other, the other thing that frustrated me is exactly what you said. I had so many people say, Oh, well, a sin is I literally these words came out several times on Facebook. A sin is a sin. In what universe is it not okay to hold somebody responsible unless we hold everyone responsible? Because that's the argument, right? We can't hold Donald Trump responsible for his sexual assaults because Bill Clinton has not been held held responsible for his. What? What is that? What does one have to do with the other? Because because you know who's making these arguments? Because they think 
that this is still about who you're voting for. But it's not. It's not just about who you're voting for. It's about how you feel about women and how you feel about sexual assault. And that's why we're all talking past each other. Because when somebody brings up Bill Clinton, they're trying to make a partisan argument. And this is not about partisan politics. Our rape culture is not about partisan politics. But it is to Donald Trump. And that's what was clear with that little stunt at the beginning. And that's what clear. That's what's so clear when he keeps bringing it up over and over and over again. And it's disgusting. And it validates everything he said on that tape. He doesn't care about women. Mr. Nobody respects women more than me. It's a laughable, a laughable assertion. And I thought just at the beginning, he seemed so... I, I like I, I thought he actually looked bad in the beginning and he seemed so off his game like I think that that little stunt beforehand threw him off in some way he just seemed so maybe it was the non handshake which was also pretty intense but like the first 30 minutes I thought he seemed very bad what did you think I thought he was enjoying himself in the first 30 minutes. I thought the first 30 minutes was professional wrestling for him, and it's exactly what he wants this campaign to be. Um, I mean, I thought it was awful and disgusting, and I understand why people turned their televisions off across the United States. But I think that's what he's in this for. I think I think he was totally in his stride. I'm a little bit surprised that he was able to finish the debate without going crazy. And I know that that's a very, See, I thought bar. he looked, I thought he looked crazy at the beginning. I thought he looked literally crazy. I don't think he was ever out of control Oof, in, within his range of control. Now, you know, we're talking about something that's totally different than any other human that would be involved in this debate. But I think he did exactly what he wanted to do. And, and honestly, he threw out, the kind of red meat that his supporters love. And I mean, you even heard a few people in the audience applauding when he said some things that were just terrible things to say. So it's the, the thing for me about this debate, there are so many things about this debate, but the, the takeaway, the underlying thing for me is that I still don't see anything that moves people. I see both candidates saying what they've said the entire cycle to their bases and nothing that moves people. And the only thing that can move people now is how awful it gets from him. Right. Just, I don't, I don't know how you can look at the tonnage of the way he's insulted people and treated people and say, he's still a viable option. But if you can, I don't know what you're hearing that moves you one way or the other, because it just feels like it's all recycled. I don't think either of them had particularly good performances tonight. I think it was just a tough, miserable evening. I thought they both had good moments. For example, I thought Hillary Clinton was very good on the energy question. Very, very good. I thought she was very specific on Syria in ways that we haven't heard a lot about and that there's a lot to unpack in what she said about Syria. Um, I thought Donald Trump did kind of what he does on the economy in ways that his supporters like. I think it's nonsensical to many of us. I think oh, he'll pull I'll give a you lot. good ec- I'll give you good economics. That's what he said at one point. I'll give him good economics. What does that even mean? I think he and his campaign will make a lot of the Supreme Court discussion over the next few weeks. You know, here's the clear dividing line because that that's a 
that's a compelling argument for conservatives. Um, I, I don't know, though. I just don't. I think she's winning this election and she's still going to be winning this election tomorrow. And this debate in a lot of ways was irrelevant because there's too much noise surrounding it. Well, I think that he was very rough in the beginning. I think he looked, I mean, I think at the very beginning, like the first couple of minutes, you know, I thought, Oh my God, it's going to implode the second they walked out there and I sort of kept it together. But I did think he looked slightly unhinged in the first half an hour. And I think there's a good chance a lot of people turned it off or turned away at that point. I think that, you know, her, I don't think it was as strong for her as the first one. And I think the media will want a horse race so they won't declare her like a winner or whatever. But I also think that the moment that's going to get the most play is when he disagreed with his own vice presidential running mate, which is, a new one. And again, goes back to the fact that this man has no clue what he's doing when he's running for president. I think that'll get a lot of media attention when he basically was like, I haven't talked to him about him. I disagree. There well, was a, like, a, go ahead. There's trouble in paradise there, right? Because oh, yeah. Mike Pence hasn't been defending him over the weekend. And there are reports that the Pence family is quote apoplectic about what they heard from the Billy Bush tape. And I think, you know, they even have a place where it's like, this is this is too far. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what develops with with those two. I mean, I don't know what it looks like if there's there's pressure on Mike Pence to withdraw, to force Trump to withdraw. And then there's pressure on Trump to withdraw so that Pence can be the top of the ticket. And until the party has some leadership and decides like what it wants and what it can actually get done, I think there's going to be this whole subplot of the two of them jockeying for position within the campaign and Pence jockeying to keep his reputation somewhat intact coming out of all this. Well, I think that, you know, I read a really great thing on <clears throat> surprise Fox um, about, you know, the Republican party has a lot at stake. Obviously Donald Trump is not a member of the Republican party. He has nothing at stake, you know, except for being a loser. He doesn't care if he takes down the Republican party with him and he most certainly will. I don't think there is a chance in hell this man steps down. No way. And so he will take everybody else down with him. And I think that that any remaining person in the Republican Party establishment, including and especially Paul Ryan, should seriously consider their future because he will kill everything he touches. And I just think that he was so sort of all over the place in his answers and again, just seemed unprofessional and unprepared a lot of the time. And I think I did a lot of disturbing sort of dog whistling. I had a friend of mine who's Jewish text me and say, I felt like every time he kept bringing up Sidney Blumenthal, it was a dog whistle to anti-Semites. And you know, when I was at Vox conversations, they said that the two things they get the most is incredible misogynistic comments and they've seen a huge increase in anti-Semitic comments. And so, you know, I think there's something to that. I think that he, you know, I think when he's talking about, oh, the African-Americans in the inner cities, Afri basically implying all African-Americans live in inner cities and then saying about how bad their life is. I think that's just dog whistling to people. So you, they can sort of say, well, he's not racist. See, it's not about reaching out to black people. He doesn't give a shit. It's just about sort of, setting up other people not to feel like they're racist for voting for him. And so I just think that there was a lot of just 
he thinks if he can give enough to his supporters, he'll win. And I don't think that's true. I don't think, I think he gave them what they wanted to hear tonight about throwing her in jail and saying that she had hate in her heart and all these outrageous things. But he certainly didn't turn the dial for any independent or moderates. Well, here's my reaction to what you said about what the Republican Party has at stake. I think it's too late. I think it's already yeah. over. I don't think yeah. that there is any digging out of this hole. I think that that you're exactly right, that everything he's touched. I mean, what it feels like to me is, and this is my rural upbringing, I guess, but you know, when you spray a field for weeds or something and it looks fine for a couple of days, but you're just waiting for it to all die. That's where we are. The, the chemical has been dispersed. Mm. Like all of these people jumping ship over the last week. I mean, I'm glad that celebrating sexual assault is actually enough to push you over that line. But come on, it's too late. It's too yeah. late. The only people who are going to walk away from this are people like Ben Sass, who were never on board in the first place. John yeah. Kasich, Jeb Bush. But that's a short list. And it's a short list that's not good enough. You know, there's some really good people and some really good ideas. I got so upset this week on Twitter because someone said to me that there's been no morality in the Republican Party since the 1960s. That's ridiculous. Yes, there has. Now, I understand that the party has not performed admirably on a lot of subjects, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing worth saving here. A principled opposition is important, and there are very, very good, kind, generous, caring Republicans out there. But we don't have anybody to represent us after all of this, after all of the people who've said that they're going to support the nominee as though that's admirable. It's just not in this instance. And it's too late. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't care what Paul Ryan does now because it's too late. It's just too late. Yeah. And I'd also, again, on this outrageous, ridiculous claim that he will throw her in jail if he wins the presidency. And again, the audience, you guys clearly can't follow the rules, but there was like cheering on that. And, you know, we praised him when we went to the convention, as you remember, they started doing lock her up, look her up. And he's, I don't remember. What did he say exactly? I don't remember. No, let's win. He said something like, no, let, we'll just win. Right. Something like that. He shut it down. He felt like he was doing good. He felt like he was winning. And so he said, oh, we'll shut it down. He shut, you know, shut down the jail her talk. And then tonight, no prompting from the audience. He said that he would throw his political opponent in jail if he wins. Where do we live? <laughs> What's happening? Like, this is not a thing. Do we all remember when we didn't know who was president when Al Gore and George Bush won? Can you fathom if one of them had been threatening to throw the other one in jail when we didn't know who the president was? What kind of unrest that would have fostered, like, it's just so disturbing. And I think, like, we can't miss sort of the abnormal things he did tonight in this sort of objective debate analysis. Like, that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to say. Passing off your advocating sexual assault as locker room banter is a crazy thing to say. Saying that you haven't talked to your running mate and you disagree with him is a crazy thing to say. Like, ah, just... Well, what's so frustrating is that it, it's another example of, one, his complete lack of understanding of how government works. Yep. But two, 
his desire to expand the power of the federal government and the presidency. And that is not what conservatives are about. You know, so it's a, it's another excellent example of how no one is representing the principles of the party that I want to be part of. Yeah. It's, and it's, just, it's just incredibly frustrating. Well, and what's uh, – that's what wears me out. Like I tweeted at one point, she wasn't queen. You know, his speech, that was what was so disturbing to me when his speech at the RNC was just like well, – I, I mean he said literally day, January 29th, I'm going to fix it. He thinks that that – I don't think he thinks we live in a democracy. I think he thinks we live in a monarchy where you just come in and you're in control and you fix everything. And she's a failure because she hasn't fixed everything. It's not how it works. Man, yeah. like, it's just not how it works. He definitely doesn't understand the republic aspect of our society. No. And no. The other thing about that, though, is she does have a record. And this would be a very difficult race for her if she were running against most credible candidates, right? Like, there's a lot to say about her history. There, There is a decent case to be made that ties her to some of what's happening in the Middle East right now. Not directly, but but you have, there are things to talk about. It's just like the reason that it's difficult for a Speaker of the House to ever be president, right? Because they have such an extensive record. That's the situation that she's in. But mm. he can't, he can't stay on message about that and he can't articulate it in an informed way so that it cuts through. So what you really have is someone who wants to play to the basest instincts of people. And then another person who for some reason runs up against people's basest instincts. And I do think an element of that is sexism. And then I think that there, there's kind of an elitism component of that as well. But now all this is about is just sort of like, what does my gut tell me about these two people? You know, instead of, hey, what, what do I think about tax policy? And what do I think about intervention in Syria and all the critically important issues facing our country? Well, I was listening to uh, Ezra Klein's podcast and he was doing an interview with Molly Ball from The Atlantic. And she said, I used to think that elections were about policy. And I've realized that elections are about identity. And I think that is so true. And identity is the hardest level of change. And that is why you see people on Facebook defending a man who openly advocated sexual assault because their identity is wrapped up in being a Republican or supporting a Republican nominee or hating Hillary Clinton or hating Bill Clinton or whatever it is. And it's not about I don't, I mean, I don't even know why we have debates because it's not really about policy for people. It's about identity and emotion. And it's just so upsetting and disturbing. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And 
Even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. There's an aspect of that that is not terrible because... We should be about judgment and we should be about personal traits like commitment and diligence and confidentiality and and all kinds of things that aren't really related to policy. You know, a a constant uh, sort of theme in some of my conversations with one of our listeners, Andrew, is whether being a moderate for me is about temperament or about principle. So I don't think it's horrible that we're examining these people as people because that is a big part of the job. What bothers me is that we're examining that almost like we're almost using statements about policy as fiction to support whatever we think about these people as people. I don't know if that makes sense. No. Yeah. I mean, he just. It's just the, you know. The way he just goes off on a tangent and you can, you know, either 
tell or maybe not tell that he's making up half of what he's saying or maybe he believes it. I don't even know at certain points. Well, what do we think about the moderators, moderators before we move on? You know, I just have given up on evaluating the moderators because what are they supposed to do? And all of I this. thought they did a good job. I thought they did a good job, both of them. I felt like Anderson I thought- Cooper kind of faded into the background. This was this was about Martha Raddatz. Yeah, I think that. Well, I think both of them sort of went after him at a certain point, and I thought that was really good. So um, overall, I felt like they sort of held it on task, and I thought he just looked like such a baby every time he was like, "Well, three on one, and you didn't let me fin- go overtime," and blah blah blah. So annoying. Yeah, it's unbecoming. It definitely doesn't project like I'm in control and this is a, this is a strong performance for me. I mean, it just seems like more kind of whining about the microphone. I'll tell you on the subject of moderators, uh, if you wanted to see people bring the fire, the Sunday shows this morning, Jake Tapper and Chuck Todd like ran into Rudy Giuliani hard. Uh, Giuliani trying to do this spin that, that Trump's comments were locker room talk. And he kept saying it was so weird. Giuliani wanted to be all folksy. He kept saying like, gosh, almighty uh, PS Rudy Giuliani. We know you don't talk like that. Like what, what are you trying to do here? Huh. So he said that phrase a couple of times. And then he said something like, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. And Jake Tapper said, I have played sports. I have been in a fraternity. I have never heard anyone talk like that. So I'm happy to cast the first stone. I mean, it was excellent. It was excellent. But going back to this thing about policy, there's one more thing I wanted to say, because I've been thinking a lot about the interview that I did with Bob Inglis and how he was primaried by Trey Gowdy for for being a rhino, right? He voted for TARP and he believes in climate change and he questioned the Iraq war. And so he was a rhino. And I, I was talking to my husband about that. And I said, you know, I think if I ever run for office, I want to find a way to like use an actual rhinoceros in my campaign logo, because in some ways that's what we should be. Like you should be affiliated with your party in name only. You should mm. represent the principles of that party, but you should be a person. That's our whole trustee versus delegate model, right? Like you should show up with your whole personage and, and all of your judgment and recognize that this is a system to that requires compromise. It's a thing I appreciated in my discussion with Alex Merced as well. You know, this guy says he's a nine or a 10 on the libertarian scale. He'll tell you my views are extreme, but I'm not showing up in Congress to be an extreme voice. I'm showing up in Congress to get things done. And so I think there is a way to package what Molly Ball was talking about, where you've got the individual and the policy and you wrap all that together into this pragmatic, but principled form. But we have to examine these people beyond the tabloid headlines to figure out who can do that. And there's no oxygen for that in this election. And there hasn't been. We had 17 choices on the Republican side. And the reason that we came out with Donald Trump is because the entire Republican primary was like the first 30 minutes of tonight's debate. Yeah. That is true. So, but wait, before we wrap up our debate analysis, I wanted to talk about his um, sort of hovering over her, which I found really disturbing. Did you notice this? I thought there was a lot of physical intimidation. uh, Yeah, like he, she would go perch politely on her chair when he spoke and he literally just stood over her. It was so creepy. Well, he has a very imposing physique anyway, and he did a lot of pointing 
and and he and he was just very he was very physically aggressive i thought i think that is probably coming from he feels like he's backed into a corner so now he's going to attack you know i think that's you know there are tons of psychological profiles on him at this point that can explain all of that but i don't think it helped him with women to state the obvious yeah seriously and the other interesting thing i noticed is at the end the Clintons went right out into the audience and the, the people who had asked the questions, she was taking pictures with all the different town hall participants. The Trumps circled up with each other and then left. They didn't talk to anybody else, but somebody in their family. Did you notice that? Well, that's how they've been this whole campaign, right? I mean, he's been running from Trump tower. Basically he, he doesn't yeah. like the retail politics side. I think he knows he's not good at it and he doesn't want to do it. You could see that in the way they answer the questions, too. I mean, he does not have the finesse of, thank you for that question. Let me acknowledge yeah. you as a human before I turn to whatever I want to say about this. I thought that was so clear in the exchange with the woman who said, you know, I'm an American Muslim and I feel like a suspect. And what are you going to do about that? I'm going to coach your fellow Muslims to turn on you. I mean, what? Well, even if the even if the substance of his answer went back to if you see something, say something. And, and the, we've discussed how neither of us like that um, burden being placed on American Muslims. But putting that aside, even if that's going to be the substance of the answer, it is so significantly softened if you say, thank you, Mrs. So-and-so. I can really understand how difficult that must be for you. And this is truly a difficult situation. And I want to keep you safe just as much as everyone else in the country. You know what I mean? Like there's a way to start that is just it, it, to go back to your word. It's just professionalism. Right. And he just doesn't have that. No, he really doesn't. All right. Moving on. We're going to wrap up our discussion on the presidential debates and move into the heels. I mean, it was really intense. I kind of could have used a relaxing vacation, but it was not a relaxing vacation. Monday, we went to Universal and had a really good time. Tuesday, we got family pictures taken then hung out at the pool. I met a, two friends from law school. Wednesday, we went to Magic Kingdom from uh, 8 o'clock in the morning until I believe we left at 10 o'clock at night. Um, then Thursday, Hurricane Matthew rolled into town. So we rolled out of town and went to the beach, which was actually really, really nice and lovely. And that was a nice relaxing day. And then Friday we got up, we hung out at St. Pete for a little while, drove back to Orlando, spent the night back in our condo, went to Hollywood studios this more, wait, this morning. No, yesterday morning, <laughs> drove to Macon, stayed with some college friends and drove home today. That's it. That was my quote unquote vacation. Yeah. That does not sound like a vacation to me. It was really fun. It was fun to be with my kids. We had a great time at all the parks. The beach was really nice, but it was a lot of travel and it was sort of intense with the hurricane and everything. So I am exhausted. Well, I don't know which of our realities I would take if I could switch because that all sounds like a lot for me. And I do, I am avoiding Disney like the plague, to be honest with you, because I don't want Jane to catch the whole princess thing. My five-year-old daughter is somehow not into princesses, and I'd like to keep it that way. And I fear 
that Disney would make her get into princesses. But anyway. Um, well, we talked my husband and I talked about that because we were sort of watching. It was interesting. Now, there, you know, there are girl, little girls that go through like that are there at Disney in their princess dresses. But, like you don't really see the princesses mainly because those are like lined events and they're paying the ass to get into and the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. Like so if she didn't know about the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, I don't think she would find out at Disney. And if she beyond seeing other little girls and that stuff, which I'm assuming she sees at like Halloween, um, you know, I don't, it's really, I don't think it's, a, it's not as pervasive as I would have thought going in. And, you know, my little boy, we, we do little not princessy things all day. Although we did do the enchanted tales with Belle, Belle, which I'd never done before. And it's really sweet. You like walk through her house and they, you get to participate in the story and that was really fun. But, um, it's really, it's not as, it's not as pervasive as you think. Can I tell you that my blood runs cold when I hear Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique? I mean, I just can't, oof, I can't. Yeah, and they put their hair all in the creepiest, like, same hairstyle. Like, they just, it's like, you can tell which little girls have been because they do the same, like, hyper shellacked hairspray bun at the top of their hair. So, I really like it when I see the girl, like, you can tell she's been at the boutique but has abandoned the gown and is now in, like, shorts and a t-shirt with the tiara hair, which I think is kind of funny. But it's it's really easy to avoid, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, so while we were not at Disney, my 15-month-old decided to start getting all of her teeth at one time. Like, literally Ugh. all of them. And so she's had this horrific fever and been really sick. And I was sick for a day. So it's kind of miserable here, except for... The two really fun interviews I got to do for our show and all of the great interactions with our listeners on social media. So pantsuit politics, getting me through in your Mm -hmm. absence and in what has basically felt like purgatory at my house. Oh, brutal. Well, let's both get some sleep. Let's do. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for another episode. Please do check out pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. If you have thoughts that you would like to express on our blog, we would love to hear from you. You can send those to Dante, Dante at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And by the way, we should do a public congratulations to Dante and his lovely wife, Laura, on the on the birth of their son, Miles. So uh, if you follow us on social media, you can see some gorgeous pictures of that baby. Um, And we'll be back with you on Friday to do tons of Friday feedback, but that shouldn't stop you from sending more our way. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. 